TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my Steam co-host, Matthew Rushing, and we're back for the second leg of our mission to explore the whole series of Enterprise on its 20th anniversary, kicking off with Season 2. And Matthew, I know it's not standard procedure here on the podcast, but I've taken a hostage today. And don't worry, though, by the time he wakes up, we'll be long finished with this recording. Again, Chris, how many times do we have to talk about this? Um, oh, my goodness. Well, if we make I, it standard you know, procedure, we won't have to talk about it anymore. It'll be OK to do it. Yeah, we we could do that. Uh, but then, you know, we keep running into uh, the, the Starfleet regulations and, you know, uh, the paperwork involved. Yeah. And I mean, goodness, Chris, I'm. I'm tired of the paperwork. Well, if you think it's bad now, just wait till the Federation arrives. Then we'll have some real bureaucracy. Oh, great. (laughs) Just what we need. More bureaucracy. Sounds like an episode of the Peanuts or something there. I can just hear like (laughs) Charlie Brown saying, oh, great. Good grief. More bureaucracy. Good grief. (laughs) All right, everyone. We are going to get rolling again here. On Warp 5 with Shockwave Part 2, here's a quick rundown of the story. Trapped in the 31st century in a future where the Federation never existed, Captain Archer must work with crewman Daniels to stop history from being changed. Meanwhile, the Sulabine, led by Silic, commandeer the Enterprise and take the crew hostage. Using some nifty techniques he learned in high school and Archer's scavenging skills, Daniels creates a way for the captain to communicate backwards in time with his crew, warning them that they must stop Silic to keep the future on track. With the day once again saved, a final confrontation with Ambassador Saval and the Vulcans threatens to put the Warp 5 program on hold. And T'Pol still doesn't believe in time travel. Although that might change soon. (laughs) All right, so let's just get rolling with the story, Matthew. And this is another The Future is in Jeopardy stories. We just got finished talking about one of these on The Artificial Tango Mm -hmm. with Picard Season 2. And on Discovery, you know, they've jumped to this future, 31st, 32nd century now, with Season 3 of that show. But this was the first time where we got to jump that far ahead. We went to the 31st century. Mm-hmm. What did you think about this, especially if you think back to when you first saw it before we had additional histories going to be destroyed stories in Star Trek? Sure. I mean, I think it's not as though, you know, when we're watching Enterprise that we haven't had those type of stories before. And you know, it, it happened. I feel like it happened many times in yeah. the next generation. It felt like yeah. it was it was very standard for that to to be the case. But here, I think it's 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 an interesting thing to do because of how we take this story in the sense that this becomes much more an episode, not just about saving the future, but it really becomes more about trying to 
imprint on the fans, I think, how important this crew is. And the fact that if Archer specifically and his crew are not out there, things are not going to go well after the 22nd century. We see that in the, in the library in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I really think this episode is much more about trying to help us understand as fans the importance of these characters by showing us a future without them, uh, a future without Archer. You know, uh, it's like that old uh, claymation movie, A Year Without Santa Claus, mm-hmm. except this is it, 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 it. That's what we're trying to do here with that with him as a character, with the crew. So I, I think that's one of the things about the episode that makes it a lot different than you kind of come in expecting, which is the mechanics of how are we going to fix the, all of these mm-hmm. problems that have happened. That's not what really what the episode is about. And I think that's really fascinating, honestly, that that's the case. Uh, that this is, in some ways, it's much more personal um, and it's much smaller, honestly, than you yeah, think it's smaller, going to yeah. be, I think. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's probably a good way to go in many ways. How can you outdo something like all good things? Mm-hmm. You can't, right? And so I, I don't even think they try here. And I think that's a smart thing for them. Yeah, yeah. I'm just picturing Archer visiting your house once a year and leaving gifts under the tree for you. <laughs> you know he Santa. does it's a little strange <laughs> you know when i catch him down there and uh but uh you know he always leaves good stuff so i can't get really complain too much so <laughs> it's quite an image yeah i think it's interesting this idea of there's no inconsequential person and i heard that just recently i think maybe on the umbrella academy there was a, a mention of that, or like, well, one person in history doesn't matter. And then they say, well, no, mm-hmm. actually, everybody matters. So here, this crew matters. Archer matters. Archer seems to matter a great deal because mm-hmm. of his role as the captain at this pivotal moment, I suppose. The fact that his father invented the Warp 5 engine you mentioned that this idea of the Federation might not exist or history will be changed happen in the next generation. But here I'm also thinking back to the original series. You know, I have a son and he will go to Saturn. Yeah, yeah. And even then there were these moments where the future that we know, the Federation might not be. So we've played with this idea many times. Here, this future that they go to They go to this library and just contrasting what our world was like when this episode was written and what it's like today. They go to the library and Daniels tells Archer that, you know, it won't matter anyway because all the information Mm -hmm. is stored digitally. So it's going to be gone. Right. And then they go in and there are all these books in there. And I think that... I didn't know you could read. <laughs> well, my point is that in today's world, we would all assume that at some point in the future, within this century, pretty much everything is going to be stored digitally. And we're actually going to need projects mm-hmm. like the Seed Vault, for example, 
to preserve knowledge. Yeah, like in foundation. On paper, yeah, yeah, like in foundation to preserve knowledge because, you know, we live in such a risky world where everything is digital and it can all just mm-hmm. vanish. But, yeah. but the fact that when they wrote this, the way to portray that things went off track is that humans continued to print books. But in our own world today, I don't think that we will continue to do that right. that far into the future. Because Daniel says everything seems normal up until the Warp 5 program. And now the Warp mm-hmm. 5 program still is another 100 plus years away for us. So right. I thought that was just an interesting, uh, as we look at this on the 20th anniversary, mm-hmm. how the world has changed. You know, it, it's really fascinating you bring that up uh, because, you know, I I was thinking how funny it is that, oh, there's books with paper, you know. <laughs> and as you mentioned, you know, even if you go to a library today, I mean, there's still going to be plenty of books with paper. And, you know, it's interesting because myself, I have become much more dedicated to physical media mm-hmm. because of something that we are seeing in in the world in which we live which is that digital media can be taken away from you digital media is is not something that is permanent and to me that's kind of terrifying you know if i if i own something i don't want anybody to be able to go in and change it because they believe that something in it should be changed mm-hmm. or just delete it altogether and, yeah. and and not actually have access to it anymore um and so i i become a much bigger proponent of uh physical media i've always enjoyed physical media mainly uh, especially too these days is in all honesty you can't really get uh, the same compression rate out of uh, you know every, everything is much more compressed. Um, oh right, and so I you wouldn't have a you know Blu-ray for example to watch exactly a, a movie. or a four K disc yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, and and in the end, I mean that's that's a little bit beside the point. But it it does speak to the idea is that the way that we are able to uh, get what we need in this episode is because physical media still existed Mm -hmm. which is kind of amazing and and it shows just how important that is because knowledge can continually be passed on yeah yeah which i think is really really important and uh, it's something that not a lot gets i I think made of um and i think i do think though that a lot of people are thinking more along these lines in all honesty Mm -hmm. so but well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. The the way I mean, the world then was saying, "Oh, well, we went wrong because we didn't do that." Mm-hmm. Whereas I think nowadays we might be saying, "Well, is that so wrong <laughs> that they they stuff they they kept making actual books?" <laughs> like yeah, that right. seems like actually a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so that stood out to me in this episode anyway. And I have more thoughts on it, actually, but I'll save them for some other podcast because otherwise we won't talk about this episode. Um, <laughs> we might keep going sticking, on that a little bit too long. Sticking with Star yet. Trek here, this comes a little bit later in the episode, but I mentioned that we have just talked about 
a future in jeopardy story with Picard on the artificial tango. Did the way that Archer communicated with his crew back in the past, did that remind you a little bit of the way that Guinan communicated with Picard when they were being interrogated and he she needed to get a message through to him? The visuals yeah, of um, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, in the in the floating head thing really reminded me of like the, the Star Wars communicators, basically, yeah, yeah. where, you know, it's the hologram. Right. Um, very funny. Uh, <laughs> and the, the and, and, and honestly, it's it's really funny because it's just a floating head. Yeah. Which, you know, um, that's always great uh, as a sci fi trope. And of course, the fact that it's to Paul that he's speaking to. Mm hmm. And the fact that she's just been, this is not funny, but the fact that she's just been tortured so the f that she is not even really in the right mind to mm -hmm. be receptive right. to this yeah. at all. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's a great, um, it's a great choice uh, because what it does is, of course, at the end of the episode, it helps connect us with their relationship in a really enjoyable and i think very fun way actually and and it continues and furthers and and i would say actually kind of completes almost the arc of the whole first season which mm -hmm. is to kind of bring them together yeah. as a team yeah absolutely which i want to talk about a little bit more as we go along while we're still closer to what's going on with archer let's talk a little bit about archer at the heart of it all the fact that Daniel says everything was on course up until the Warp 5 program. So that's the point at which history apparently changes. And you might get the feeling that the Sulaban, under the direction of Future Guy, are on a mission to stop Warp 5, kind of like the way the Borg were on a mission to mm -hmm. stop First Contact. But actually, it seems that the Enterprise itself, and maybe the Warp 5 engine itself, isn't so much at the heart of what's going on. It's the Future Guy wants Archer. And as we mentioned already earlier, Archer is so pivotal to history. So it's becoming very clear as we start the second season that that's where they're yes. going with that in the series. So what other thoughts do you have on that? I think it's smart, uh, in all honesty. I think we do want this character to be a linchpin for everything that we know is coming. And I think, in all honesty, it just makes sense. Archer is the person that by going out there and doing this job, being the first one, he is going to s set the stage. He is going to make the playbook. As he says at the end of the episode, we're out here. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. But, you know, it's it's kind of the whole dark night thing why do we fall so we can learn to get back up right and i think that's really a part of what this this whole mission is about it's about humanity learning to be a better version of itself and archer is kind of the perfect character to be able to do that because he recognizes the imperfections in humanity and yet continues to strive to be better even in the face of severe opposition, 
And I think that's something that makes him really special as a character is that he is willing to put up with that opposition. Mm -hmm. He is willing to put up with nobody believing in him. And I think that's really neat, in all honesty. And it makes him a great character. It makes him one that's really enjoyable to watch progress. Because, even again, even that speech is a progression of his arc from start to finish. He's respectful there of the the Vulcans. He's not putting them down. He's not angry at them. He's just speaking that to them logically and emotionally at the same time. Um, Which is a huge change from Broken Bow. A hundred percent. Where he was like, you know, you have no idea how much I'm restraining myself from knocking you on your ass. That's not a helpful phrase, mm-hmm. right? But everything that he says to Saval is something that I think definitely wins uh, Forrest over to his side. Mm-hmm. And then you add on top of that, of course, what T'Pol says. I mean, we're, we really truly are, you know, kind of doing everything we can to make him the pivot point. And that's fantastic mm-hmm. because Archer needs to be the character that, fans can look to and say no that guy really is important and i i'm on his side moving forward and and that's something that i think the writers were still trying to get across at this point in the series you know this is just the beginning of season two and season two struggles with fans unfortunately um and so i think the speech that he gives what they're trying to do for the character here is all on purpose from mm-hmm. the writer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, contrast that with Trip's reaction. If you think about mm-hmm. how they were at the beginning of season one and where they are now, you can see how at this point, Trip still uh, holds a grudge against the Vulcans, is still ready to jump at them if. Yeah. He feels they're interfering, whereas Archer has moved beyond that. Yeah, and I think that's a great point just to to, to do the contrast In there. one with, scene, with, right? To, to just yes. put it side by side like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think it's it's great that you bring that up because in, in, in many ways, I think what we do see there is that, you know, Trip, it's a little bit more personal to him in the sense that who's being attacked is not only his best friend, but his captain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and so there is that whole other side to it, which I, I think is actually really good that we get to see that those differences between the two. And it's it's part of just what makes those two characters uh, friends, but it's, one, it's the thing that also makes those two characters different and work well together. So I, that whole section there at the end was was so well done but again it's it's all supporting the fact that the guy in the center chair deserves to be there and that's been the question this whole time especially from the vulcans does he deserve to be sitting in that chair mm-hmm. is do we have the right human out there you know i think this episode is trying to say yeah we do have the right human out there right right now, here's a question, and this might be actually the seed for another episode, maybe on Interface, to talk about this. But while we talk about Archer at the heart of it all, 
and what they do with him through the series where you have the captain who is more a central figure to the overall story and the like direction of humanity's future or the direction of the future of other worlds in another case which I'll explain and compare that to like two other times that I feel like they really did this in Star Trek. You know, Kirk, not as much, Picard, not as much, but Cisco, very much at the center of the outcome of the overall storyline for DS9. Mm-hmm. And on Discovery, yeah. Michael Burnham is always at the center of everything all the time. Okay, so without getting negative about Discovery and Michael Burnham, just think about how these compare, though, what they're doing here with Archer, what they did with Cisco, and then what they've later done with Burnham in mm-hmm. having our central character be so important to the overall narrative in this way. That's an interesting connection that, you know, I, I wouldn't have really thought about that until you brought it up, but the idea of in many ways, Archer is the Cisco of this series. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to put it, and it's a it's a great connection point, and it's obviously one that I love. So I guess you know yeah. how to push my buttons. Um, <laughs> well, this is the but, midway point of the temporal Cold War arc. This is the mm-hmm. sixth episode of that arc, so we're right in the middle of it. And if you think ahead mm-hmm. to how that ends, you very much have Archer in a role similar to Cisco's role there and Michael Burnham's role yep, getting uh, discovery to the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that this is one of those things where Enterprise begins specifically to pull from the lesson of Deep Space Nine, which is to use its characters in a way that's slightly different than we've seen other series kind of use their characters, which is to move them more towards the center of the stage uh, in the sense that they are pivotal to everything that we know. And, you know, I'm sure that probably drives some fans crazy. But I think, you know, here... It makes sense. Archer is the first captain. And if he is not this person, I think there's actually something wrong with that. And the point is, is that they they want him to be the one that is not only the first one out there, but is is he's worth looking up to, mm-hmm. you know, like he he's a character that is instead of making him the character that's just going to make all the mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. um, that everybody's going to learn about in the history books and like, oh, that Archer, he was such a, he wasn't that great. He was kind of dumb. <laughs> we really are going to make him the person that people can look in the history books and they'll, and they'll look up to. Yeah. Um, and well, he's like, he's a role model for what yeah. humanity should be as adventures out into space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So speaking of characters, let's move on and talk about the overall crew, because one thing that stands out to me in this episode is that 
they actually get all the crew members involved in what's going on. Because Enterprise did fall into that trap of relegating some of its characters to the background, Travis, Hoshi mm-hmm. in particular. But here, it feels a lot more like an ensemble cast solving yeah. this problem. What are your thoughts on that? I really did like um, that most of the cast really gets uh, an opportunity to shine in the in the episode um you know work together uh i think you know the the one that we probably don't see a ton of is uh, is mayweather you know we we don't actually see i think a lot of him Mm -hmm. which is usually the case yeah yes this is this is unfortunately true but hoshi got a lot a pivotal role in this Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think we, we saw a lot of characters that we weren't necessarily used to seeing. And, and I think you 100% call out seeing uh, Hoshi there was was really interesting. And seeing Hoshi do things that she's completely uncomfortable with was was really fascinating. So, you know, I think that's all smart. You, you know, you want I think you what you want is this crew to be coming together beginning of season two. I think they're completely just taking everything from the the beginning of the first season, everything they're doing with them. And here they're they're trying to make them this family, which is is really important. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think it's all really well done in that sense to give you the the feeling like. Okay, this is a crew now. They're all in this together, and I'm with them. You know, and and I want to see where they go next. And I think that's fantastic. You mentioned that Hoshi is doing things that she's not comfortable with, and I think that's also a great way of showing her character growth. We talked about Archer and how he interacts with the Vulcans here compared with how he was in Broken Bow. And then if you think at the beginning of season one fight or flight, these early episodes where Hoshi was really kind of uncomfortable about being in space in general. And she really opens up so much more here. And another example of the the growth in the character. And then this is another case where Enterprise in what I think would be considered mild ways in 2022 tried way back then, 20 years ago, to add a little bit of spice to the show Mm -hmm. by having Hoshi slip down and her shirt comes off and we see her bare back, which is a, oh my goodness moment, maybe 20 years ago. But today, I don't know, maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I I don't think it's really that big of a deal. And in, in, more than anything, I was just thinking to myself, in all honesty, how many times that's kind of happened when I'm trying to like get down off like a ladder or that something gets caught and it it turns into a mess, which you know it's 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 not actually something that doesn't happen. Um, and we we already established in the it's very tight quarters that's why hoshi's doing it she's the smallest of them all and it you know so i don't think that she appreciated being compared to a child however (laughs) when they were trying to figure out no no um yeah (laughs) although she didn't know know, right she wasn't there so she didn't hear it yeah i don't um 
I, I, you know, it's just one of those things that I think obviously enterprise is definitely trying some things and uh, they're, they're, I think in many ways what they're doing is they're, they're trying to be, um, with where TV is at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to find a way to, I think, keep Star Trek relevant in a, in a difficult era. And so whether or not it's the right decision, I mean, it, it, it happened. Yeah. And like, I will say that while of course I am in no way whatsoever bothered by the scene, I also don't think it's necessary for the story. And no, not at I all. I think that, if it were me, I would not have included that in the episode because the story is strong enough and you don't mm-hmm. need that kind of what feels like an obvious attempt to add some kind yep, of sexiness to the show. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be better without that. But at the same time, at, as you said, at this point in television... They were trying to uh, go, they were trying to push the envelope a little bit with Star Trek, which Star Trek has done many times over the years. So it's understandable. All right. Well, okay, let's move on and talk about T'Pol a little bit more. We talked about her already and how she has evolved as a character. And I think you said earlier, it felt like we reached the end of that first season character development arc for T'Pol, where she has very much changed her view of humans, her feeling as part of the crew. She, we talked last episode of this show, when we talked about Shockwave Part 1, how the fact that Archer turns the ship over to her and tells the crew she's in command now, you need to support her shows how much Archer trusts her. And it also shows how comfortable she's become being a part mm-hmm. of this mixed crew. I say mixed, it's her and a bunch of humans. And of course, flocks right. down there in sick Bay and then Porthos representing the canine gang. But <laughs> it's, it's true. Can't forget Porthos. Can't forget Porthos, but it really culminates in the ending of this episode, when she stands up for the, for humanity to ambassadors fall and talks about how far they've come and calls her fellow Vulcans out on the carpet for putting a a surveillance facility under a monastery. Right. And how they should kind of be ashamed of that. And yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I think you're right on target with what they're doing with that character. And I, I think it is a really special thing for her to point out that Vulcans pretend as though they are perfect. And yet she points out rightly, we came through a lot. And we were not always the race that we were. In fact, we used to be murderous, raving lunatics, basically. We had centuries and centuries of violence until, you know, we had our Reformation. And we're going to need another one by the time the series is over. It's it's a part of the process of being a species and growing. You're never perfect. You're, you, we're all beings that 
there is no perfection in us. And so to pretend as though we've made it, we have nothing to learn, we have nothing to gain from even being involved with these humans other than trying to keep them from doing things we don't think that they should do, you know, it's such a paternalistic attitude and and she rightly, I think, puts the Vulcans in their place. And I think it's it's a great moment because, again, it just shows how much she's grown with this crew and she's come to respect humans because I don't think she thought that was ever going to happen. Right. Right. Like, I think she's just as shocked that this is happening as everybody else was on that bridge. And then there is that wonderfully great moment at the end of the episode where Archer comes to her quarters. You know, they have the quick joke about, I think so-and-so saw me and she's like, oh, she's discreet, um, which plays upon the idea that, you know, it's a small ship. People might talk that he's going to, you know, right. quarters in the middle of the night, Yeah, um, which is it's such an like adult thing to be able to mention without it becoming a thing. And then them, him basically letting her know you are the one who made this possible. Like you're, I said some good things, but it's you who really put it over the top. And I just, I love that moment because I think there's such a respect there between those two characters. And then I, I absolutely love the joke where she's like, I still I don't believe in time travel because I think she's making a joke at that point. And he's yeah, like, the yeah. hell you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just such a good moment between them. And so, all in all, I love what they do with T'Pol, her transformation that we've seen in this first season, and her true acceptance of this as her crew. I think that's the thing that makes this so exciting, because, yeah, she hated humans just as much as they hated her, in all honesty. And everyone on this ship has come full circle, and I think that's great that we get to see that encapsulated in, in her and Archer's relationship. Definitely. And it's not mentioned here, but I have a feeling that she probably really loves the smell now also. Like she's <laughs> become a, a connoisseur of the human scent. <laughs> connoisseur of the human <laughs> smell. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> you mentioned a paternal attitude. And right when you said that, I was thinking about the Vulcans and that conversation that she's having there with Saval and calling them out. And and just that Vulcan attitude in general, as parents, we often, we want to help our children avoid making the mistakes that we made. And so if mm-hmm. she's explaining to them what their own history is, you can right. consider that the Vulcans are looking at humans like, okay, we're going to help them avoid mm-hmm. those hardships right. that we had. The problem is the Vulcans come off very arrogant in doing that. And you mm-hmm. can ask the question, are the Vulcans this way towards the humans because it is this paternal nature? They want to guide humans into a better future where they don't have to suffer through the stages that Vulcans did? Or mm-hmm. are they fearful of humans and they are concerned about humans advancing mm-hmm. too much and that right. becoming a problem for them? which is kind of what we get later on as an explanation. But I think that it's more complex than that. And as for well, Tupole... I, I think that they're... 
slightly worried about them becoming the next Andorians. Yeah, right, right. Which I think we see a bit in season four in some of the dialogue, right? As for T'Pol herself, I do think when she came aboard the NX-01, she did have that parental nature where she looked at the human crew as her children and she knew better. Mm-hmm. And yep. now that's been flipped where she's one of them now. They're mm-hmm. peers. She doesn't have that parental attitude so much anymore. Well, I, I think it comes down to something that we've talked about many times here on the network. Uh, this show pretty much any show that we've been on as well as like the 602 club like it comes down to this idea of seeing people as people and that we don't paint with broad brushes and um, we don't other you know Uh, we treat each person as a specific being that deserves our respect uh, getting to know them who they are and that's exactly what to Paul inadvertently has done this was not on purpose she Mm -hmm. didn't want to be here this was not her plan right um and yet i don't think she would in any any way have it any other way you know i i think she actually is thankful for the turn of events that led her to being on enterprise and having these experiences and becoming in many ways i think truly a part of this family because, you know, I, I don't – I get the feeling like – and one of the things I feel like we learn from Paul is that she was never really truly comfortable in the first place uh, with herself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she ends up finding herself through this experience she has with this crew. And in the end, I, you know, obviously don't think she would change it for the world. So – yeah. Which is kind of a neat thing, like the most unexpected thing that happens to us. And we find ourselves like thankful for that unexpected blessing, you know, like just this little bit of felicity you didn't see coming. Yeah, well, but OK, last point before we get into our final thoughts, we should talk about this because it's so central to the story. And we had this slow build up throughout season one of the Sulaban becoming a true threat. So who's going to be the villain of this show? Typically in the past, we've had Klingons, we've had Borg, we've had Cardassians, we've had Kazon, don't forget them. And here we've got (laughs) Sulaban. And finally, they really are back in this episode as a full-on threat to the crew. What did you think about them in the all-out villain role did it work here would it have worked to have this sustained throughout the entire series where they are truly the villain in some ways they kind of are at least through season three right but never has the same weight to it Mm -hmm. as some of the others for me i think that it's interesting in this episode specifically, because one of the things that I think we do learn about the Sulaban is the fact that they are at the mercy of Future Guy in a way that I think 
actually lead you to feel a little bit sorry for them, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting place to be. As I was watching it, I was just thinking like how pathetic Silic really is. Yeah. Like he has no power in and of himself. All of his power comes from the way in which he pushes people around. Yeah. Because And then when you, you know, see him pleading with future guy, yes. it's almost like calm yeah. down, Silic. <laughs> yeah. You, I thought you yep. were stronger than that, but Yeah. And so and I, I think it's it's something that's interesting because what it is is and what we're seeing is a character who's kind of sold their soul to the devil and realizing that they don't actually control the devil the way they thought they did. The devil controls them mm-hmm. and yeah. they're really just a plaything for the world. Um the, the so I it it's actually kind of a terrifying story and I think that's one of the reasons why in the end you know, they, they don't feel as scary later on. And I, I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, especially within season three, why they ramp up, they need a, a villain behind them. Um, right. And part of that is because we just realize they're pawns in a much bigger game. And I think that's what this episode really does here is it helps us realize that they're very much pawns in a much bigger game. And in all honesty, we should probably feel more sorry for them than we should fear them. Mm -hmm. Compared with the other big villains. Now, the Borg are a bit different on the next generation because of the nature of the collective. But if you think about Klingons, if you think about Romulans, Mm -hmm. Cardassians, the Dominion, these are all like large political organizations as well as large militaries, which are formidable when you put them up against the Federation, both militarily and mm-hmm. ideologically, socially. Right. Whereas the Sulabine are like this ragtag band of – the Cabal, anyway, are like this ragtag mm-hmm. band yeah. of villains who feel right. like they might be more at home in a Star Trek film – where you've got the classic formula of this one villain that's causing you some problems and then you have a fight with him at the Mm -hmm. end and you push the button and you've solved everything. Like they fit into that mold a bit better than they do as the weighty villain for a television Mm -hmm. series that, that can run through the seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think it's the re the very reason why we obviously don't have them as being the big bad moving forward, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, I, I think by setting the stage with them, okay, we, we realize um, it, it was one of our first times in, in Star Trek where we really had some some alien species who was really different um, and could do some really crazy things that we'd never expected to see, I think, in a Star Trek series in, in, in that way, you know, when it comes to the way they move and Yeah, and all usually that you only see really... that at the circus, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're really pushing the boundaries, though. And I think all of that was good. But, yeah, the series is going to continue to to move forward. And so... And I think that's that's good. I mean, I don't have. I honestly have no problems with them doing that, and um, and just making them, in many ways, a stepping stone for what's going to come next, which is going to be even more terrifying. 
Well, what are your final thoughts on the episode and what's your rating for this one? You know, it's re- it was really, really interesting to come back to this episode because I, I've specifically not, you know, watched Forward Enterprise as we're doing this. I'm really kind of staying with where we are. Um, you know, I want to kind of stay with my my thought process. I don't I don't want to remember storylines until I'm watching them again for this rewatch. And I was just really surprised about how small this episode was and how I forgot that. Um, and I think it actually plays to the strength of the episode by not trying to be something that's over the top, that is huge, and it actually helps the episode. And I really, really enjoyed re-watching it, and I thought it was good. It's not probably the best resolve of a cliffhanger in Star Trek, but I I really liked what this I really liked what this episode was doing with the characters. And and to me, Enterprise is so much more about the characters and it's why I keep coming back to the show. And so I I really liked it. And I'd say I'd probably give this 3.75 silic meltdowns out of <laughs> five. Just because it's it's you know I I'm enjoying being back with this crew. And in fact, you know, in literary tracks, we just went to and read an Enterprise book. Um, and it's been a long time since, uh, you know, I've read uh, in the Enterprise part of the universe. And it was just so good to be back. So that's how I feel, honestly, with this. And what about you, Chris? Silic Meltdowns. A new measurement system, I like it. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty much melting down. <laughs> he really I, is. You know, it's like it's like he can't get a hold yeah. of his girlfriend. You yeah. know, and he really is. So. And the thing about Silic is that he can then literally melt down. You know, he could just become flat. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, just with some water. <laughs> I'm melting, <laughs> melting. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm. I'm pretty much with you on this episode. Before we started recording, I mentioned that. I've let this episode play through three times and I still don't feel like I am following it well enough, perhaps, for the discussion. Like, am I missing something? But in the end, I think, no, like you said, you're not missing anything. It's just a very straightforward story. Mm-hmm. I think when you take parts one and two together, you get what feels, yeah. I, I know it sounds obvious to say it feels like one story that way. But if you think about some of the yeah. cliffhangers in Star Trek, the first part and the second part really stand very strongly independent of one another. Yeah, I agree. Whereas this one very much feels like, okay, we're going to wrap mm-hmm. up the thing that we were doing before the summer break. Yes. And yeah. I think you're 100% right on we're, that. We're just going to dash to the finish line on this one. And mm-hmm. we're going to raise some interesting questions, but we're not going to get bogged down in trying to make it overly complex to explain them. So. But it's a fun episode to watch, and I'm going to give it seven missing monuments. Nice. (laughs) All right, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on Shockwave Part 2. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to join the Babel Conference on Facebook. That's our closed listeners group. If you're already a member, you know how it works. But if not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come right on up. 
If not, just type the whole name, The Babel Conference. It is a closed group for our listeners. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. You'll find a post there for this episode, and you can share your thoughts with fellow listeners and Matthew and me right there in the comment threads on that post. You can also send us email if you prefer. Go to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. And of course, you can find us in social media, on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Our username is trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not figuring out, you know, how to communicate with people across the timeline in a kind of Star Wars way, where can people find you? You know, I love showing up as a disembodied head uh, in people's rooms. It's just terrifying. Uh, But when I'm not doing that, uh, you can also find me on more normal platforms like uh, social media platforms. Uh, Look for the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. You can also find me here on the network, of course, on our whole other side of the network that's not about Star Trek, which we really enjoy, called the 602 Club. And we've got some great bonus shows in that same feed as well. So I hope you'll check those out. And uh, you'll also find me uh, doing the aforementioned literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We do Artificial Tango, Chris. We talked about Star Trek Picard here. Uh, we're talking about Strange New Worlds with Saddle Up. <laughs> And then we've got the orb. So, so much happening, so much Star Trek conversations, uh, and we I hope you'll check all of them out. And of course, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I've got two shows over there. One's completed. It's called Owl Post. I did that with Dre Goffman, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars. So, Chris, you know, when you're not trying to uh, figure out where you left your shirt, where can people find you? <laughs> I think it's right up there. It's right above me. I can see it. <laughs> but but I don't want to hear about it. Just give me a new shirt. Yeah, when, I'm, when I get dressed again, you can find me elsewhere on the network doing shows with you, as you mentioned, talking DS9 on the Orb. Picard on the Artificial Tango, Strange New Worlds on Saddle Up, Larry Nemechek and I do the Ready Room from time to time, there's Interphase, and I'm on all sorts of shows in the back catalog, including the early years of this show, in fact. So check all those out if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Star Trek. And if you'd like to chat with me on social media, Twitter is where I'm most active. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere, but Twitter is where I'm most active, and I'd love to hear from you on there. If you'd like to help us keep this show, all the other ones that we mentioned, the 602 side of the network, and everything going, we could really use your help. If you'd like to find out how to become involved, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And we'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us right now, We would not be here without you. So thank you so very, very much. All right, Matthew. Well, I'm going to go stock up on Velcro because next time we're going to be talking about Carbon Creek. Well, Chris, I am so excited. So let's go. 